hope it is good to see you. Obviously, lots to catch up on about the weekend, which is good. Have you all got a copy of the notes? Because you know what? Everybody that, most of the people that you're going to talk to tomorrow at work, you're going to find are going to be asking this question and are going to use some of these assumptions. So what I'm going to teach you today is straight from the scriptures. But everybody you see, Pam, pretty much is going to believe this. You're going to hear this from your kids. Maybe not your kids, but some other kids. You're going to hear it from your neighbors. And you're certainly going to meet, hear this from some of your friends. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at the question and the implication that good people, they're the ones that go to heaven, right? Good people, right? And today I want to look at what is wrong, very wrong, with that very bad assumption that most people have about heaven. You see, your friends at university, at work, Gabe, they've got questions. You need to listen out for some of their assumptions. And when they come, we are told in Jude to contend for the faith and to destroy arguments that raise themselves up, which is, in other words, that are contradictory to what God says. Because this is how it works. God is God, and what he says is true, and anything that's opposed to it is false. Okay? Some of your friends, Chris, are searching. They're searching. I often hear things like this. You know, I don't have anything against Christianity. But my question is this. Surely, Ian, there's more than one way to get to heaven. Surely. You know, I'm not upset with your system but if there is an, an amazing God that created this amazing and enormous universe, surely he didn't have to limit access to heaven by just one door. I mean, really? Now, I can appreciate some of those questions. Some of your friends at work are thinking this. They are implying this at the back of their mind. Now, some of you even listening to this today would say, Ian, I'm a Christian. I'd count myself as a Christian, but I don't believe that Christianity is the only way. There's got to be other ways. Some of you think that. So today, I want to talk about that assumption. That, and, and other assumptions, actually two predominant ones, that seem to support this notion that there are many ways to get to heaven. Because most of the people that you know, that you serve Desmond every day, believe this. And they think there are many ways to heaven. Otherwise, they get in line and they get it sorted. They think they're all right. But we need to pull that and examine that, put it under the microscope. I've also discovered something else. That most people who believe there are multiple paths to heaven also believe something else, and that something else is what I certainly want to talk about. The assumption that appears to support this main notion is that there is more than one path to heaven is this, and here it is, this is the assumption, that good people, good people go to heaven. That's what they say. You know, Ian, good people are going to get to heaven, and that's not only Christians that are going to go to heaven. Good Christians, yeah, but also good Jews. And don't forget the good Catholics, Michelle. They're going to go to heaven. Good Presbyterians and even good Baptists, if there is such a thing. (laughs) 
Also, good Buddhists, that's what they think. Pick any group. It's not just one group that's going to get there, but it's the good people of all of those groups that they think are going to get there. Now, the person that believes there are many roads to heaven also believes those, there are people who aren't associated with any church system, who don't even go to church, who will have different belief systems, but they are good people. Good, inverted the air quotes, people. They believe the common denominator for Christians and Buddhists and Baptists and Catholics is not a belief system or who is their God, but they believe the common denominator is whether they are good people. So consequently, God in their minds, the people at work, is not limited to just one way, one avenue through one specific belief system. And most people believe that God is going to eventually just gather up all the good qualified people from all of the religions, and they're all going to make it. That's what your friends believe if they have a notion of God. Some of you may have heard that come out of some of their mouths, if you dig. And some of you actually listening to this might even believe that. Now, the other reason they believe good folk are going to make it is a hidden assumption. Now, they don't normally say this. If they believe it, they never say this out loud. And really what that assumption is 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 this. If anybody's going to make it to heaven... I'm going to make it. <laughs> because whatever the qualifications are, I am certain that I'm at least average. And there are people worse than me, and there are people better than me. I'm certainly not as bad as Hitler, and I admit I'm not as good as Mother Teresa. Now, there is something very appealing about the notion that good people are going to go to heaven. And I can tell you why that is. Because I'm good. So I'm in. That's why it's appealing. And you're good too, aren't you? Any bad people here? I can't see many. Nobody really likes to admit that. Actually, a survey I read this week showed that 82% of people who say they believe in heaven, which was defined as, in this survey, a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. And almost then, the same percentage believe that they were going there in the same survey. See, I have never heard anybody admit that I believe there is a heaven and I believe good people are going there, but I'm not going to be there. I've never heard anybody say that. Not one of them. So on the surface, some people assume that good people are going to heaven. Why do they think that? Well, the first sort of sidebar reason out the side, it's not in your notes, is that it seems a fair system. That's what they think. It's fair. If you're good, you get to go. In a civil society, if you do good things, you get rewarded. If you do bad things, you get thrown in the slammer. In my house, when we had kids living there, if they did good things, good things happened. If they did bad things, bad things happened. That's a civil society. It's a fair system. Do good, get there. Do bad, get there. Secondly, the other reason why is that the advantage of believing in this is that you will make the cut. You're a good person. So that's got to be a good system. That's why I want the system. And the third sort of like idea is that it gives, it has the advantage that it motivates you. It can motivate you to do good. You know, not so sure what good is, 
But hopefully, I'll try and live my life in such a way that kind of tips the scales. A lot of your friends at work think that. A lot of your friends at school think that. So the implied theory is this. This is what they are thinking. Those who are kind of sort of semi-serious about this. They're thinking, how I live my life on this side of the grave determines what happens to you on the other side of the grave. That's what they think. That's what your work colleagues think. Yours too, Ernst, as you're driving that forklift and jamming that container full. That's what they're thinking. That's why they're not worried. Because I'm good enough. So on the surface, and by the way, it also seems to be consistent with the idea of a good God. It makes sense that if there is a good God who lives in the good heaven, it should be filled with good people. That's how they think. So on the surface, it seems to have some moderate appeal, a reasonable concept. But very few people have dug beneath the surface to really explore the concept. So this morning... As an attempt, I want to attempt to approach this issue of this question, which some of your friends are definitely going to say to you, how can there possibly only be one way to heaven? I want to talk about the problem of the good people go to heaven view, and then I want to try and convince you that there are far more problems in believing good people go to heaven than believing that Christians go to heaven. Because chances are, some of you or people that you know or are in your family believe that. And I want to get you thinking about this often unchallenged, vacuous slogan that floats in our culture. And the problems that are associated with that view of good people go to heaven. So let me give you three problems. Number one, problems with the belief that God... Uh, excuse me, that good people go to heaven. And the biggest one is this, the, big, uh, the biggest one. There is no clear standard of good or bad by which we can check our progress. There are none. There is no clear standard. Now, this is a big deal. Because if good, quote, people go to heaven, then we need to know what it means to be good. We need to know how good is good enough. Is there a scale? Is it 50? Is it 51? Is it 49 a fail? Where is this? Whoever God is, that God up there who's one day going to say, you're good and you're in, needs to let us know what is good and right. Needs to let your friends know, right? That's what they think. So if that's the way it works, and my eternity hinges on that, it ought to be clear to me and to you what is good and how good is exactly good enough to get a pass. That's what needs to be clear. The truth is, friends, we don't have that information. Now, some of you may want to jump to your Bible who are listening to this, and some of your friends may. And you can say, well, I can tell you how good enough I have to be because the Bible says love your neighbor and love, the, uh, love, love your neighbor as yourself and love God. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can say, well, I'm trying to live by that. I'm trying to live by the good book. And some people think, well, this is a good book, and it came from a good God to good people, and I'm trying to do everything I can, every bit of my energy, to do what the good book says. And that ought to be good enough. So I figure, if this is a target and I shoot for that, that should be good enough. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. 
I'm going to burst your bubble. If that was your goal, you'll never make it. If we all get to heaven by doing good things spoken of in the Bible, then none of us are going to get there. You, like me, may have a high respect for the Bible. And maybe some of you still yet, listening to this, here or online, are not quite sure whether you believe all of it, but you may have some respect for some of it. So you're kind of shooting for it, and you normally caveat things with these type of terms, but I'm not perfect. You know, but I am doing a good job. You know, uh, for example, I keep the Ten Commandments, or whatever. But let me tell you what the Bible actually says. That's what people have, for the last few minutes, have been talking about what people perceive. Let me tell you now exactly what the Bible says about our condition. Four scriptures, quickly. Number one, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That means simply this. Everybody tried, nobody made it. That's what it means. Everybody tried, nobody made it. Romans 3.10, a little further. There is no one righteous. That's a very expansive word, no one. No one has a right standing before God. No one is sinless. And then it goes on. Just in case you missed this, not even one. Not even one. The Bible says right there, there are no good, inverted commas, people. But you say, but it tells me what to do to be good. Surely the Bible absolutely does have things to say that instruct us on how to behave well. But at the end of the day, when you and I have done all we can do and have failed, the Bible says nobody is good. There aren't any good people. And that's a big flaw in the argument. Now, I'm not saying that you who are listening to this today, here, and online, maybe even think that's true, but I am definitely telling you that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that clearly. That's true. Romans 3.12, a little further on. Then it says, all, that's a very encompassing word again, have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Again, the Bible always agrees with itself. Whatever does not include seeking of God's purposes ends up being worthless. Think about that for a minute. Whatever doesn't include the seeking of God's purposes ends up being worthless. That's seeking the kingdom of God. Look at this next one. A little further down. Romans 3.21. First half of the verse. There is no one that will be declared righteous in his, that's God's sight, by, by, by observing the law. The law cannot make you righteous. That is, when you die, according to the Bible, God is not going to look at anybody and say, hey, you did such a great job in keeping the law, in keeping the rules. My wife is a great rule keeper. 
I'm not so good at that sometimes. <laughs> if anybody would make it in that standard, she would. But she doesn't make it all the time either. Look at the rest of the verse. Rather, this is the purpose of the law. The whole thing back here in Exodus, it was never to save you. The purpose of the law was never to save you. It couldn't save anybody. The purpose of the law, look at the rest of the verse here. It says, rather through the law we become conscious of sin. Some versions say uh, the, school, um, the law was a schoolmaster which brought us to Christ. It showed us that we were failing, so we end up being, whoa, it exposed our weakness. So the Bible teaches us the reason God gave the law wasn't to give you something to keep so that you could go to heaven. And this is why it's important. Because some of you were being raised in the church and just had the impression, well, this is a good book. And God is a good God. And he lives in the good heaven. And if I'm just doing my best basically to do what the Bible says, then I'm going to get to heaven. That's what many people think. And I just want you to know this. That is, if this is your standard, what you're looking at to find the difference between good and bad, if this is your roadmap that you've been using or that you've been assuming is the way, and you know a few verses here and a few verses there, and you've been kind of jamming together your own little formula package on what is good, what I am telling you is don't use that. Don't use it. Because you're not this good, and neither am I. If this is the standard, there are no good people. The standard is way, way too high for us to attain to. Here's what I'm saying. If in the back of your mind you've always assumed that good people make it and bad people don't, the Bible says you're wrong. That's confronting. We don't. You can go ahead and believe that if you want to, but you cannot use the Bible to justify that argument or anchor that position or ground it. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere near in the Bible. In fact, we're going to see it's the exact opposite. The standard is just way too high. Not only are you and I not perfect, you're not even this good. When we examine things, some people go, oh, well, I, I, I keep most of the commandments. Really? Let's just whip those out for a quick thought for a minute. And check out those Ten Commandments. How good really are we? If God used even this minimal standard, and by the way, Jesus' standard was much higher than that. How about the first one? How do we do on that one? You shall have no other gods before me. Number one. Is God your highest priority at all times? Or do you two-time? You know what two-timing is, Harry, right? You've got two girlfriends. You like this one, but you like that one. You like God, but you like other stuff. More important, is God number one, unequivocally. How do you go on that one? Warrant of fitness number one, one number two. You shall not make an idol for yourself. Here's the question. Is there anything in your life that is more important than God? And this is how I tell if God said, give it to me, would I give it to him? Holus, bolus, open-handed. If I, if I can't say yes, it's an idol to me. It's something that hold more important. That includes my wife, my children, my grandchildren, any position I have. He owns the lot. How about number three? Third command. You shall not take the, uh, 
God's name in vain, the Lord your God's name in vain. Do you ever curse God? I used to bug the living daylights out of me in America when people would use the word G-O-D all the time. Ooh, that irks me. I don't say to them, excuse me? Even to Christians, excuse me? Don't be afraid to get in somebody's face if they're using the Lord's name in vain and they're a Christian. That's wrong. Number four. Remember the Sabbath. Ooh, it's getting a bit quiet. Keep it holy. Do you cease from your labors and set apart time each week to worship and to commune with God? Or do you just swap your secular job for other jobs and do a whole bunch of other stuff? How's number four? Number five, honor your father and mother. Do you, have you ever been disrespectful for, to your parents? Six, you shall not murder. Jesus said, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. What? Isn't that a bit extreme, Jesus? That's what he said. Do you hate anybody? You shall not commit adultery, Jesus said. But then he said, anybody who even looks upon a woman or a man with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you ever looked at a man or another woman with impure thoughts? Yeah. If you have, based on that scripture, the Bible would call you an adulterer. How about now? Nine. You shall not lie. Have you ever deceived anybody? What do you call a person who tells lies? A liar. Yeah. You shall not covet. Have you ever longed for a position, a title, a property, power, or possessions that belong to another person? That's in the top ten. That's covetousness. Now, if God were to judge you and I today, bang, we're in heaven. If he were to judge us just based on the Ten Commandments, how would we do? Heaven or hell? By the way, there is no verse in the entire Bible that says that if you rely on keeping the Ten Commandments, that you will go to heaven. None. Now, some people will say, well, I'll tell you where I get my standard of right and wrong from. I think good people go to heaven because God has put in all of us some innate sins of good and bad. Some innate sins of good and bad. That's what you think he's done. And God is looking at our motives. That's what's going on here. Did you know what, you know, that's how I know what's right and what's wrong. Now, that's something we should look at because I want to suggest to you there is no innate sins of good and bad. There was none. Major wars have been fought over what two different groups have thought was right and wrong. And both sides claimed this is what they thought God was on their side for that. They go to side A and they say, well, we're right and we've got God on our side. And go to side B and they say, we're right and we've got God on our side. And both groups were willing to die for that belief. There are many examples. That the most popular one that we all know is Nazi Germany persecuted Jews. And they were convinced they were right. 
I think they were wrong. But you could ask some of you who are not great Christians, well, who am I to say that? How do we know? You say, well, it's obvious. Really? It's not obvious to them. Here's the problem. If I decide to go with this internal sense of what is right and wrong, here's what I've noticed. Listen up. It changes as you get older. What I thought was right when I was young is now wrong. Hmm? It changes as I get older. It, it's true. So the problem is, if we go by an internal sense of right and wrong, there's contradiction, so much contradiction, there's no consensus. There's not even consensus in the room sometimes, like this, or between different groups or different nations. So the big problem with the good people go to heaven is, we have no idea what is good. There's no clear definition. So we need to take that bad idea, exit stage left, out of the equation because it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's not logically coherent. It's actually absurd. We have no idea what percentage of our actions have to be good to make the cut. Is it 50 or is it 70 or is it 90 or is it 95? If I asked everybody here what they thought, we'd all have different opinions. You know? And by the way, do some things weigh more than others? For example, if I murder, wow, I've never murdered, so I'm good. Really? Well, how about David? He murdered. How about Paul, the great apostle, who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament? He murdered. There's something very scurry with our thinking here. So if you believe in the good people go to heaven, and you're really, really honest today, you'll discover that you have no earthly idea of where you stand with God. But don't worry, there's some clarity coming very soon. soon. See, you've made up that system in your mind. And you said, here's what's important to God and here's what's not. You've made that up. And let me just say this, it's quite revelatory, uh, revelatory sometimes to ourselves. Everything we think is not necessarily true. So we need to check that. And what I like to check it with is an objective, unchanging God who has revealed his wisdom in his word, which never changes. If I, were, if I were to say to you, how do you know that it's important to God? Well, you'll just say, well, it is, without reference to the Bible. Do you know what the good people go to heaven system is like? This is what it's like. It's like a teacher, like Renee. And Renee starts the term, the beginning of the term. She stands up in front of the class and says, guys, there's going to be a test at the end of the term. And it's going to be a simple test like this. Pass or fail. You're dismissed. Goodbye. See you at the end of the term. And then just before she goes, the, the class dismissed, there's a hand raised at the back of the room. And she says, Miss Renee, do you mean that you're going to give us a test that you haven't made clear to us what will be in it? Yep. Not even going to tell you. That would be unfair, right? You'd be ticked off, especially if you're paying for the course. Maybe a bit more like this, though, Martin, or for Dean. It would be like signing up for a race, and there's a clear starting point for the race, a start line. There it is, in the middle of the paddock, which is dead clear. There's the start. And, you, and people start to mull around. 
Hundreds of people start to mill around. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, 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 wait a minute. How far are we going to run? Well, nobody knows. Is the track marked out? No. Well, where's the finish line? We'll tell you when you cross it. <laughs> that would be nuts. And the gun fires, and he just runs around and scatters. I just want you to think. that That's exactly the situation with good people go to heaven. With the assumption, because you have no idea what good is. You have no idea where you are in that race. You have no idea how much time is to lift to balance up the scales to get more good deeds piled on to outweigh your bad deeds. No idea. And you don't know how the good outweighs the bad. If I'm super crying to my granny, does that count for all the mean stuff I did in the playground? Now, you may have some idea that your good outweighs the bowels, but you made it up. It's delusional. And here's my point. You are hinging your eternity on something that you made up and haven't carefully examined. Now, both you and I are not that smart. Here's what we tend to do. Those habits and those sins that I don't wrestle with, I'm sure God thinks they're really serious and bad. But the things I struggle with, I kind of think, well, maybe he understands. See, we all make this up. Now, as many questions as you may have today about Christianity, I want you to know this. The problems with believing that good people go to heaven are far, far more complex. A teacher that won't tell you what's going to be in the final exam is not a just teacher. An employer that's going to review your performance that won't tell you what you're going to be evaluated on, especially if it's not related to your job description, isn't a just employer. Someone who expects you to run a race where there is no clear finish line or no clear course mapped out, that is not a fair race. So to believe in a system that good people go to heaven is actually so unjust and unfair that it breaks down even with the simplest analysis. Now I know that there are hard questions to answer in Christianity, but friend, there are answers. If good people go to heaven, we're all in a world of trouble because none of us know where we stand. And that's a good thing to remember when you're talking to your friends. None of us know where we stand. Some of your relations, some of your children, some of your grandchildren are going to bring this up. Remember, how do they know where they stand? It's made up, and they need to come to that realization. Here's the third and one of the other big problems with good people go to heaven play. And this is a big one. It makes a liar out of Jesus Christ. A liar. See, it's interesting that all the conversations that I've ever had with a person about heaven, no one has said to me, well, I think Jesus lied. They've never said that. Even people who don't believe he was the son of God say, well, well, I don't know how he really said that. <laughs> they'll, they'll go to that, but they'll never say he lied. But if good people go to heaven, Jesus lied. Here's why. Jesus taught the opposite. Jesus taught the opposite. 
And by the way, no other religion has ever taught this. Ever. Jesus taught that bad people go to heaven and good people don't. I'm going to explain that. Hang with me in a second. That bad people go to heaven and good people don't. See, in Jesus' day, there were these religious leaders and they were paid to be good. You're, good, you're all right with me. I'm good for nothing. <laughs> so Jesus had religious leaders who he took aim at. And their job description was to wash in a certain way, to wear certain clothes on certain days, and be very religious and very holy. And then Jesus comes along and listen to what he says to these folk. He points to them. He says, Oi, I tell you, this is Jesus, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the disciples are shocked. What? These are paid professionals. And their righteousness is insufficient for the entrance into the kingdom. What hope do we peasants have? We mere mortals. The commoners. And then Jesus did something very unsettling. He would walk up to unholy people. Prostitutes. And tax collectors. And say things like, Weird things like, you are forgiven. But, but, but Jesus, I haven't been to the temple for months. You're forgiven. He taught that the best weren't of the best of the best were not going to make it, and the worst of the worst could be forgiven. That's accurate. And you know what Jesus actually taught? He didn't believe for one moment good people went to heaven. This is what Jesus taught. He taught that forgiven people went to heaven. Forgiven. Now, if they are not forgiven, they ain't going. This is a huge difference to the things that your people at work and your friends at university believe. If you've got your Bible, which I highly encourage you to bring to church, if you haven't got one, buy one. Luke 23. Now, if there's anything in you that believes the Bible teaches that good people, through good works, make it, this story will put a sword to that wild theory. Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals. What were they? Criminals. Now, by the way, the Greek, I did two years of Greek. The Greek word for those criminals there is like pirates. You got that, Simon? Pirates. So out of control these guys were, they couldn't even be trusted to row in a Roman galley, even when chained ankle to ankle. That's the type and the level of criminal that was there. So reprobate, they couldn't even be used as slaves. Not just, we're not talking basic thieves here that were on the cross. These were the worst of the worst. Maximum, perimarimo, Ernst. Two other criminals, the pirates, were led away to be put to death with him. That's Jesus. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, look at this. 
Father, help them to do better. No. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Do we? And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at them, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews. By the way, notice that same question. If you are, is exactly what Satan tempted Jesus with in Matthew 4.4. If you are, self-doubt. Young person, let me say something to you now. It's just come to me. If you have self-doubt, anchor yourself firmly in Jesus and you'll be secure as a rock. Look to this world, you'll be adrift. In Christ, you'll be a rock. There's an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging railed at him and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Saying, do you, not, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. This guy, recognizing here that even in a human court, he was being punished justly. He deserved to die. Not by God's standards, but by human. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is a tremendous statement of faith. And Jesus answered him, too bad, so sad, you are bad. <laughs> is that what he said? What did he say? He said, no, 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 no. He said, you're too bad, but truly I say to you, that's, you are bad. Why are you hanging on the cross? You've been very bad. But truly, because of his confession of faith and trust in Christ, you will be with me in paradise today. Wow. That's a confession of faith. And then they both die. Now, Right then on the cross, if you were that thief, a rededication to be better wouldn't mean much. From here on out, I'm going to be a better father, a more considerate husband. I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to get my act together. Actually, the thing that makes Christianity different to this approach is Christianity is not about do. It's about done. It's done. Real Christianity teaches that forgiven people go to heaven and the way we are forgiven is to throw ourselves on the mercy of the only one who paid the price for our sin. And the way a person becomes a Christian is by doing exactly what the criminal did on the cross. He recognized his need. We are justly suffering for our sin. He's not shining on his sin. We need a saviour. And he recognised who Jesus was, a saviour. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because I believe you are the king. That's the implied statement there. 
He said, if there's any hope for me, it's certainly not in my deeds, that guy said. Because it's my deeds that are stuck me on this cross. If there's any hope for me, you, it's in you, and you are the king. And Jesus said, that's all I'm looking for. You're forgiven. You're in. Can you tell me what could be more merciful towards us than that? Christianity is the most just and fair system possible in an unjust and an unfair world. Let me just summarize it quickly in three statements. Are you ready? Nothing could be more just or fair than this. Number one, everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. Oh, thank you, God. You're so magnanimous in your bountiful riches towards us. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like the thief, he called upon the name. He looked to him, not his own goodness. Second, everybody gets in the same way. Everybody. And Jesus answered this. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Well, it's, not, it's not, I'll try this, and I'll try this, and I'll try this, and I'll try this. All those other ones don't work. There's only one phone number in the whole wide world that'll get to my cell. One way to get to the Father through Jesus. Third, so everybody is welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. And third, which is amazing, everyone can meet the requirements. Everyone. Can you think of a more fair or clear or just? Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. Everybody meets the requirements. Here is the requirement. Here it is. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever really tries hard to keep the commandments. Is that what that says? No. Whoever believes in him. Think of the cross. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. And everybody can meet that requirement. Let me illustrate this. There's a stool sitting next to me, which I started off sitting on. Now, if that stool falls over right now, who cares? I'm not trusting it. I'm not leaning on it. What about this? If I kind of lean on like this, if that stool falls over now, is that a problem to me? Not at all. Because I can just step back from that. And that's sort of like, I, I can step away from it when, it when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. But it's not going to unbalance me. When I'm like this, it's kind of like, hmm, and the half-leaning it. It's kind of like saying, well, I kind of trust in Jesus, but this is all about me. This is what I can do. This is about my wealth, my possessions, my position. When I'm kind of doing both. But it's a whole different story when I sit down like this and I put my full trust and wait. If this still does go, I'm sitting on the deck in nanoseconds. This is Christianity. I sit in it. Let me just give you one thing that came back to my mind. In your fair country, Tina, the most famous acrobat in the world was a man by the name of Harry Blondin. And he did all sorts of amazing things. And one day he put a rope right atop, across the top of Niagara Falls. And he walked across it very carefully. 
one side. All the press were there. All the people were there. The world wrote it all up. Amazing. Walked all the way back. You actually got to the middle and you started to cook an egg. I've read the story. I've seen the pictures. In the middle of a tightrope with Niagara Falls down there. Came back to them. And at that point, one of the reporters said to him, Mr. Blondin, we believe you are the greatest tightrope walker in the world. And he looked at him and said, if you believe that, there's a wheelbarrow here. Hop in that and I'll take you across. It's cheap. Cheap words on the sight line. I believe you are. It's a whole different deal to sit in that wheelbarrow. You are putting your complete and utter trust. The trouble is, many of us are what the Bible calls lukewarm. We trust in Jesus for fire insurance to keep the head of our seat in the end. But we're doing this. We're splitting between two stools. And God does not want that. That, my friend, is not saving faith. I would that you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. So becoming a Christian is unique. It's, a putting about, it's all about putting our entire trust in Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sins. It's not about what I do. We'll talk about that later on. It's about placing my entire trust and weight on what he has already done. Christianity, friends, next time you talk to your friends, and this conversation comes up, does not teach that good people go to heaven. Christianity does teach that forgiven people go to heaven. And forgiveness is found by placing our trust, total trust, not this trust, in the one who died on our behalf. Only the perfect one who paid the price for us. Now I'm going to ask you a question we're done. Has there ever been a time in your life that you made a conscious decision to quit trusting in the promises that you've made? I promise I'll never do that again, God. Has there ever been a time in your life that you made a conscious decision to stop feeling bad about all the things that you have or haven't done? Where you said, I don't need a second chance, I actually need a saviour. I don't need to try harder, I need a saviour. Has there ever been a time in your life when you said like that thief on the cross, I need a saviour and I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. If not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Now, if this is your first time, you may have heard about Jesus a lot and you may have heard about him and sort of believe in him intellectually, but I want you to make it personal, not intellectual. In other words, I want to put my personal faith in you, Jesus Christ, for my personal sin. Now, for some of you, I'm going to give you a chance to say, you know what? Some of you have been saying, yeah, it's Jesus and me, and you know, I've done some good things, and I'm, I'm probably good enough, and if my good things aren't enough, well, I do have Jesus. This is, a, this, is this person, again. And if you've never made a solid decision, today I want to give that opportunity. And all I'm going to say, I want you to say that all of my faith and all of my hope and everything I'm trusting in is only in you, Jesus. Not in me, not what I can do, and not what my influence is. Now friends, final statement on here is listening. Listen here. 
Praying a prayer will not make you a Christian. Let me say that again. Praying a prayer will not make you a Christian. Because you can do that and do this. Trusting fully in Christ will make you a Christian. Because Christianity isn't about being good. It's about being forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me? Here are some words that you can use if it's where your heart is this morning. Just say, Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need forgiveness. I'm asking for forgiveness because of what Christ did for me. And then you tell him, Father, right now, I'm putting all of my trust in Christ's death on the cross as a payment for my sins. I'm not trusting in the promises I've made and the ability of me to be completely consistent. I'm not trusting in the things that I have never done or I have done. I'm trusting only in Christ. So tell your Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving me into your family. Heavenly Father, thank you for making it simple and unbelievably fair. Thank you that we all got invited, that we all come in in the same way, that everybody can meet the requirement because all you desire from us, Father, is trust and faith in your Son. And Father, I pray for those who prayed that prayer for the first time. Would you give them the courage to let that be known to someone so they can move into our fresh start class and begin to grow and to read their Bible and to allow you to ignite in them this new life that they now have in Christ's name, I ask it. Amen.